Join us at Film Society of Lincoln Center on Thursday, April 4th, for a film comment free talk with director Claire Denis and actor Robert Pattinson from the singular new film High Life. For more information about this special event, visit filmlink.org. Pick up your copy of the new issue of Film Comment, with features on Claire Denis' High Life, Alex Ross Perry's Her Smell, Who Bows an Elephant Sitting Still, reviews of new, forthcoming, and streaming releases, and much more. Subscribe today at filmcomment.com. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Nicholas Rapold, the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. High Life is the new movie directed by Claire Denis, and it comes to theaters on April 5th with a cast featuring Robert Pattinson and Juliette Binoche. For her latest film, Denis situates a story of intimacy, isolation, and taboo on a spaceship full of convicts headed into oblivion. It's a continuation and also a complication of ideas, feelings, and sensations that she's explored before. For the occasion, we talked about her body of work on our latest episode. I was joined by contributing writer Nick Pinkerton and Maddie Whittle from the Film Society of Lincoln Center. We discussed High Life, and also each of us brought in one more Denis film to discuss. Uh, You'll see which ones when you listen to the episode. Also, while we're on the subject of High Life, be sure to mark your calendars for April 4th, when Robert Pattinson and Claire Denis come to the Film Society of Lincoln Center for a free film comment talk. Let's go now to our podcast discussion. Hello and welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. And today we talk about Claire Denis on the occasion of her new film, High Life. Uh, I'm very pleased to be joined by... Uh, Nick Pinkerton, a regular contributor to Film Comment Magazine. Contributions including this issue's cover story on High Life, Un Film to Claire Denis. We are also joined by... Maddie Whittle. I am the programming assistant at Film Society of Lincoln Center and uh, an occasional contributor to Film Comment. And you also have an article in this this issue, that same issue. I do. It is a feature on Laszlo Nemesh's Sunset, which is an excellent movie. Unfortunately, not related to the topic of this podcast, but <laughs> worth seeking out. I think it, it's released this coming Friday. Well, you can just sort of work it in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like in Sunset. Justice in Sunset. So High Life is, is is coming out, and it's getting somewhat of a, I don't know what to say, more chic kind of release than, than her films get, in, I might say. I don't know. Yeah, I, I caught the trailer, I forget what before, and mm-hmm. it's a bit of a LARF. <laughs> sure. I've, I've heard tell about this trailer, but actually have not watched it because I was afraid after seeing the poster. Um, the hand. The hand. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Little yeah, baby yeah. hand. See humanity again together for the first time. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You got to do something with it, I yeah. guess. Well, on the heels of the, the the promotional gambit for Be Gone in, in in China for Long Day's Journey Tonight, where they basically advertised that film as if it was like a New Year's Eve romantic comedy, um, <laughs> I'm all for any tactics whatsoever, um, even if it involves people coming in and getting rudely surprised by the exploits of Doctor Dibs. <laughs> The Be Gone movie stinks on ice, no matter how you slice it. But uh. <laughs> okay. we'll save it for the Be Gone episode. <laughs> um. I, yeah, this this uh, this question of how this movie was marketed. Yeah, I think just comes back to the fact that it's a twenty four, right? Like sure. That this is a somewhat odd acquisition as an a twenty, like in in terms of the brand that a twenty four. 
is it's not an elevated horror exactly. film. It's, it's right. like Trouble Every Day, the OG elevated horror movie. <laughs> True that's enough. Right. Maybe that's why they, they were drawn the to it. previously dumb genre and lifted it up. Lifted it up. Uh, paving the way for A24. Um, so it's all come full circle. Well, so what we've done for this podcast is each kind of seen another film of Claire Denise to bring in and talk about. But I thought we could start with you, Nick, just sort of singing the praises of High Life, for which you had, I mean, it was really great in the article that you got, you were talking with Claire Denis, but also Stuart Staples. Stuart Staples. And Jean-Paul Fargo. Jean-Paul Fargo. In all likelihood, I will trot out my Stuart Staples impression at some point, and it's something we can all look forward to, as Robert, Robert Pattinson does uh, over the closing credits of uh, High Life. Frankly, it's a movie that I could use another go-round with. Um, I saw it at New York Film Festival, which is the period during which I did the lion's share of the writing and talked mm. to Claire, and it's still something that I am getting my head around, which is not entirely a bad thing and a phenomenon that I tend to encounter with Claire's movies. They are you know, way homers. But the basic premise is Robert Pattinson uh, lost in space. <laughs> it opens in a very sort of noirish fashion mm. with Pattinson alone with a small child uh, on this spacecraft on the outer edges of nowhere. And you can see signs of a struggle as well as several body-bagged corpses. Mm. Uh, and what we watch following that is ex essentially an extended flashback that then brings us up to the present moment and beyond that. We see what has gone down on this craft. We understand the nature of this mission such as it is, um, which is that the spacecraft is essentially a floating death row with various condemned men and women, uh, theoretically on a journey to find and test the qualities of a black hole as a potential like energy creating source or something to that effect. <laughs> uh, the, the, the like science and what the, you know, Dorcos call world building is not like super strong here, uh, but it hardly matters at all. But one gets a sense that the actual mission is more pertinently to attempt to breed in space. And this is being done by uh, a character played by Juliette Binoche, who has the somewhat uh, kind of screwballish name of Dr. Dibs. <laughs> um, it's very French. Yes. Uh, Dibs who is harvesting the spilt semen of uh, the various uh, condemned men on board and attempting to um, grow life in the wombs of the condemned women uh, and encountering frustration time and time again here until finally one seed is planted and comes to full term. Yes. Um, and yeah, this is this is this is uh, the the meat of the matter. Yes. Uh, but we also get into a, for lack of a better term, a very intense father daughter relation. 
ship, which is something not unusual in the Denis oeuvre. Mm-hmm. Um, for we see the one successfully brought to term child grow to the cusp of adulthood and very importantly the age of consent and that is the sort of moment at which the movie leaves us and i hope i've not (laughs) revealed too much maybe this is a good time (laughs) for us to reveal something here yeah about one of our participants hi (laughs) so maddie you have not in the traditional sense quote seen unquote this movie that's true i haven't it's as i was saying a little earlier it's not something i'm proud of uh somebody who uh does indeed work new york film festival uh i there every year there are films that i miss uh in the press screenings and then public screenings and it's just this is one of the ones that passed me by this year and i was very disappointed by that because <laughs> it was high on my list and yeah. it I knew that it was its release was not going to be for a few months after the festival so I was going to have to wait for it yeah. um so yes yeah. full disclosure I have not seen the movie however I am quite active on film twitter and have enjoyed <laughs> what a boast yeah well you know it, it is what it is and uh this is a movie that's gotten a fair amount of buzz on the festival circuit and been talked about a lot. So I feel like I've been sort of steeped in the mm-hmm. discourse without having actually seen the movie. So yeah. that's the perspective I'm bringing. Well, I, I, I think it is an interesting perspective also. Uh, the way I think of it is like before and after, in, yeah. in a sense, because I, High Life in many in many ways continues some things that Claire Denis has done before, but also in some ways is a little, like all of her movies has something in it that's kind of unimaginable um, and um, beyond your ken in some way. And genuinely, I hate the word, but just sort of risky or dangerous about it, uh, which becomes so rare now. Well... I think here, as in a number of movies, very important is the idea of taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's quite on the face of it yeah. here. Um, yeah, but just, just, I just want to jump in because if I pick up on the idea of it opening like a noir, where it's the aftermath of the crime, and part of that aftermath is the child, in a way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I mean, one of the issues very much at play here again is the question of consent the question of when does a act perpetrated on a group of condemned people broach the line of uh, of murder when does in a context where everyone on board this vessel is essentially being routinely raped what does the heft of a for lack of a better word, like classical violent rape, what is the heft of that in a context of clinical scientific rape? And at center of all of this is, again, a one of the sort of fundamental taboos, that being the question of incest, which is very much at play in Bastards, which you can find intimations of flecking a number of different Denis films and certainly too uh the issue of cannibalism is broached uh which is the the very center of trouble every day yes and i mean you 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 speak of this genuine sense of kind of tightrope walking danger as being something exceedingly rare i would i would add to that 
I know of so few filmmakers who are able to create and sustain a sense of anticipation around new projects in the way that Denis does. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can say particularly perhaps in the festival film milieu, but just generally, there are many filmmakers I admire, but I think it's rather difficult to say, get incredibly excited about the next like Hong Sang Soo, firstly, because the last one was four months ago. Um, That's a special case. <laughs> but there is this real sense of anticipation, I think, that yeah. accompanies each film, which... I mean, perhaps this is like vestigial to the fact of her being a very important figure in the years of like my early intense movie going, mm -hmm. but I've just never really lost that feeling yeah. like with each Denis film that maybe this is going to be the one that cracks it all open. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I This one, I don't know comes close in some ways. I, I, I don't know what that would mean, but yeah. I guess it also depends where, where you kind of got on board uh, with, with, her, with her films. I'm trying to think, you know, the first films for me would be early, early in the early aughts. I can't claim that I was seeing her movies in the, in the 90s. That I was there for Beau I can't really claim that. No, I mean, I, yeah. I remember very, very well the film comment cover with mm. uh, Colin Gregoire and mm -hmm. uh, Beau Travai yeah. and the like accompanying piece and I had not seen anything of hers previous to that yeah. and you know as is particular to that like turn of the millennium moment knowing that I was not going to have access to this movie right. for some time but just building the entire fantasy of what this movie was yeah until the actual encounter, which is just uh, an incredibly <laughs> satisfying experience, yeah. which still ranks for me as uh, you know, pretty, I won't say life-altering, but yeah. uh, you know, in, enormously impactful. Yeah. So we, we've each brought a film, and the film you brought... Uh, it was 35 Shots of Rum. Which is one kind of movie that kind of illustrates one side effect of this kind of anticipation because that was a movie that in some ways was was well appreciated and, mm -hmm. and, and, and I know loved in a fond way but maybe some people were expecting some like greater impact f from it but that's partly because of the nature of the film yeah. it, it is it's well it's I mean it's Denis does Ozu which in itself is mm -hmm. kind of counterintuitive uh, conceptually because it's extremely understated in its sort of dramatic gestures and uh, feels, um, well, it feels like a Claire Denis film, but it, it feels like uh, a departure also. And I came to it when it was not new. I actually, the, the first Claire Denis film that I saw when it was brand new was mm -hmm. Let the Sunshine In, which was her second to most recent mm -hmm. one. And that, everything else that I've seen of hers, I saw after the fact, after it had been, sort of digested. Um, and so I w can't speak to the anticipation of mm. uh, 35 Shots of Rum when it was new, but I can only imagine that it was uh, surprising in that it uh, is, it's a very sweet movie in a way that's not without its sort of bitterness and sourness in certain ways, but it's, uh, 
I don't know. I don't know that yeah. it would have been what I would have expected from Claire Denis in 2008. He's hypothesized yeah, you yeah. <laughs> that had, had seen it for the first time. I, I mean, I would, I would note that there is an entire sort of strain in her filmography of sort of very light touch works like Ninette Boni, mm-hmm. I think is very much of a piece uh, with 35 Rum. Um, Vendredi Soir um, mm-hmm. is a movie that I think looks very interesting when sort of hung in pendant with Trouble Every Day because mm-hmm. they both have at heart of them a sort of fascination with anonymous sexual encounters, but right. the nature of those encounters <laughs> could not be more markedly different. Yeah, And then uh, Un Beau Soleil Interior, which, because I will not call that movie, let the sun shine in. <laughs> um, uh, even though there is, on the other hand, a definite attraction to extreme subject matters and um, kind of boundary-pushing uh, narratives, there is definitely, I think, an undercurrent yeah. of interest in just burrowing into domestic ro- routine and you know, the the erotics of everyday experience. Yeah, yeah that's true. <clears throat> yeah, and it's interesting to, pa- to pair them in that, in a way, too. I mean, thinking of bastards alongside high life a little bit as well i mean it's not like high life is a softer version really but there there is just a such a grisly brutality to to bastards that that high life uh, almost partly by virtue of where it's set in the future somehow still is open-ended but you know at the same time things are uh you know doom laden as well in high life but it is interesting to pair those two together. And Bastards was almost more than people were ready for. Uh, but although it's hard to think that you should be surprised at being surprised by her. Um, but I remember still being kind of off-put by that film. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> that's one that a lot of people have trouble with. Yeah, uh, I haven't revisited since it came down the pike, but yeah. I don't know. I'm like con- contractually obliged to just be in the tank for... <laughs> yeah. Everything yeah. she craps out. <laughs> <laughs> well, that one, I mean, Bastards has such a violence to it that I almost wonder if people would be more receptive to it now. There's just such, uh, I don't know, there's just some, something very uncompromising um, about it. Well, I mean, again, Trouble Every Day was not a beloved picture no, it when, it, no. when it came out. Yeah, yeah. Um, had, you know, a brief dismal stand at the quad, <laughs> um, which at the time was not the destination for cinephiles <laughs> that it has become, yeah. but rather a, a roach trap. <laughs> um, and I think there was a fairly consensus feeling around that movie that, ew, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> what are you What's doing? This? Yeah. But it, it, but it is sad that Friday night is, is kind of, it's hard to see in a way. I think it's like the DVDs, it might be out of print. I'm not sure if that's accurate, but it's it's in some ways it can be hard hard to see. Um, but that for me was was a key work, much low low profile. Tends to be one that people haven't really seen, mm-hmm. um, but is just like one unbroken beautiful like melody for me. It's just that is just a, I don't know beautiful beautiful movie. The one that I would love to have more widely available is the episode of Cineos de Notre Temps, 
mm-hmm. that uh, she did with Serge Denet, oh, yeah. uh, with uh, Jacques Rivette. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's certainly not what you'd call prime Denis or anything like that, but uh, the sort of bridge that it builds between the film culture and some of mm-hmm. the kind of artistic assumptions that Rivette and you know his coevals to varying degrees had and then the what Denis is picking up you know this is I think 94 so she's really just at the beginning mm-hmm. of her career it's very very interesting to see that and then think also about the fact that you know, very pivotal in Rivette's own career was doing a cineast episode with mm-hmm. Jean Renoir, Jean Renoir Le Petron, mm-hmm. and yeah. thinking about these three figures kind of linking hands and yeah. the the uh, interesting little relay through French film history that that, that gives you. Because yeah. one of the things that I find so interesting about Denis is she seems somewhat out of joint with other things going on in French film culture as a whole. Um, like, and you know, interestingly, I just happen to think of this, and you know, she's in fact a few years the senior of Chantal Ackerman. We think of them as being like. Oh. You know, totally different mm-hmm. generations because Ackerman started so young and Denis right. relatively is a late bloomer. I mean, I think right. Chocolat comes out she's when 42. she's 42. Uh, um, not that she had been twiddling her thumbs the whole time. I mean, but I feel like in many ways she is nearer to that like post new wave generation or to somebody like Rivette, even in terms of their frames of reference, Roland Barthes being a figure who is very key to Umbosole interior mm-hmm. and who also really turned a lot of Rivette's thinking about filmmaking on its head. And when Rivette was editing Cahier in the 60s, brought Bard in to have an mm-hmm. interview, et cetera, et cetera. So... All of which is an incredibly long-winded way of saying, I think that that's a very cool piece yeah. that kind of gives you a sense of the continuity between their projects, even though they're, of course, very different in, uh, filmmakers and very yeah. much their own filmmakers. Yeah. No, it is, I mean, it is, it's also intriguing just to think of her, that was 94, and I mean, this 94, I hate to say it, is <laughs> 25 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Which is a <laughs> sobering thought. Um, I was very young. <laughs> but uh, to think that she is, uh, you know, is a, a leading filmmaker, and I mean that that sort of passing of the baton just kind of continues to that extent. I mean, I don't know what the equivalence would be, but if you think of, I mean, French film arguably went into some kind of rem- is remission the right way or quietude in like the seventies to a certain extent. Late 70s, I don't know, until the kind of rebirth in the 80s, kind of post-post. Well, I mean, I just think of the 80s as being like Leo Carrach, and Mm -hmm. I I don't see anything that she does having much to do with that. I I mean, I I feel like a lot of the basic preoccupations of a lot of those post-New Wave directors, we'll think of somebody like PLA, Mm -hmm. who are very much looking into 
further investigating kind of the documentary impulse, let's right. say, mm-hmm. where like Kara to me is very, very steeped in like film for film's sake, cinephile culture. Yeah. And I feel like Denis is there is that documentary impulse at, mm-hmm. at work. She feels very close to the street to me mm-hmm. and not close to the cinematech per se, which is not to say that she's not a very film smart person. She absolutely is. Yeah. But I mean, something like I Can't Sleep or No Fear, No Die, these are not, you know, movie movies. Right. These are responding directly to things that are happening in you know, in French culture at the time that are being yeah. taken, you know, out of the headlines. And it seems kind of funny to <laughs> say that to to be talking about this with regards to somebody whose new movie is about people jacking off in space. But like <laughs> even still, like I feel even with all the sci fi trimmings, she remains sort of close to the ground and close mm-hmm. to the the dirt and loam of Yeah sort of criminal lives and the existential quandary of somebody on uh, death row. Yeah. And what that really is. On the subject matter too of reproducing in space, like essentially post-terrestrial future of humanity is like super relevant and yeah. super topical and sort of urgently of this moment. And, yeah. you know, she might have had to have more of a departure from sort of the immediate material textures of the lives that we live, but Mm -hmm. conceptually anyway, it's... That's true, yeah. And she did know an awful lot about filtering urine versus filtering um, shit, which came up in the interview. Uh, So, uh, yeah, very close to the realities of such an endeavor. And I don't know, I mean, that's also something that I remember fondly in 35 Shots of Rum uh, is just the feeling of day-to-day rhythms and being very much in touch with that and the fact that maybe those rhythms aren't always very dramatic but it's it's just the sense of very subtly shifting winds or, or breezes yeah. in a way yeah and sort of the drama of texture and of uh-huh. of sort of to use a tired phrase the fabric of everyday life and everyday relationships and yeah. you know sort of the the um the micro dynamics of family relationships neighbor relationships friendships and and um, it's a it's a film without much of a story, except within the sort of yeah. interstices, and it uh, in that sense it feels a little bit removed from ta- that one. Mm-hmm. Thirty five shots of rum feels less sort of of its moment, and yet it's so sort of hyper immediate that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it is very intimately connected to its moment. Yeah, uh, just trying to remember was that around when Cafe Lumiere came out? Just thinking of another. It's explicitly Ozu referencing. But I mean, when we talk about 35 Rums as Ozu referencing, there's no there's no overt kind of stylistic lifting. And that's, I think, what makes it such a successful yes, homage. Absolutely. It's more attentive to certain things to do with texture, a certain warmth, a certain poignancy, a certain holding back. Um and the uncomfortable intimacy of certain familial relations. And as I've been fond of pointing out before, she does throw in a fart joke because like how else (laughs) can you properly uh, tip your hat to Ozu? (laughs) Extremely well executed. Than with a a very left field toot from uh, Alex Disco. (laughs) Yeah. 
just a, a moment of silence. An <laughs> <laughs> appreciation. An appreciation for that. Join us at Film Society of Lincoln Center on Thursday, April 4th at 5.30 p.m. for a film comment free talk with director Claire Denis and star Robert Pattinson from the singular new film High Life. Tickets to this free event will be distributed at the Eleanor Boone Monroe Theater box office on a first-come, first-served basis starting at 4.30 p.m. on April 4th. For more information, visit filmlink.org. We hope to see you there for what's sure to be a stellar conversation. The new issue of Film Comment is out now, with features on Claire Denis' High Life, Alex Ross Perry's Her Smell, Christian Petzl's Transit, Laszlo Nemesh's Sunset, Jafar Panahi on the process of secretly making movies, plus the not-so-secret gay history of a cult film magazine. Also, read Ari Aster on The Last Temptation of Christ and reviews of Ashes Purest White, Peterloo, and more. Get your copy today at filmcomment.com. The, the film I, I brought in for, for today was No Fear, No Die, which um, I only bring up because it, it also strikes me as another like unexpected film to do maybe, you know, uh, but in a, expected and, and, and unexpected, like, cause that was her second feature after Chocolat and it, you know, it takes up the kind of, you know, colonial, colonial legacy, um, idea, uh, in a very different setting, but on the other hand is, is, is much more stripped down and, and like single, almost single location specific, uh, compared to that first film, um, and Chocolat also being something that kind of had her poise to be, um, that people might expect her. Like if you say a Claire Denis of Chocolat, you, you might expect any number of like genteel kind of French ready for the foreign foreign language film. And then she just goes back to a movie about, you know, two people trying to make money from cockfighting. Uh, <laughs> uh, which is actually why, maybe why that film's not as widely available. I don't know. Sometimes I worry Sometimes I worry about the films about cockfighting. Why are they not out more? Um, but yeah, this is a, this is a film that even even now watching it, it's 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 it, there's such a like becalmed kind of fury within it um, that again, yeah, I'm not necessarily what you you would expect, but I, I, and it, oh, still difficult to see. But yeah, using Alex Desca and. Um, is Octobankale as these kind of sort of neatly in tune and in step. And then when they fall out of step, it all kind of falls apart. But even between them, there's something familial that then gets kind of corrupted. Um, that does seem to be a strand that, that keeps on uh, coming up. Um, but that's, yeah, 19, 1990 for that. But I don't know, something about what you were saying about 35 shots brought me to their strange little dyad yeah. they have. Yeah, I mean, they both have um, Alex Descartes, interestingly opposite ends of a spectrum. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting, too, just the effect of her having, not only in actors, but of having all of these lengthy collaborations mm -hmm. with you know Jean-Paul Fargo, the screenwriter, yeah. with... Stuart Staples and members of Tinderstick scoring, but particularly with the kind of Denis players mm -hmm. having been with them for so long. Um, for example, when Alex Descartes uh, pops up in Un Beau Soleil Interior, it's just immediately touching that he's there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the warmth of seeing your uncle come through or something like, yeah, Alex, it's great to, it's great to see you. Um, yeah. And he does have a kind of avuncular quality in the particular role he, he fits there. 
as well. I have a very vivid memory of being in Rotterdam, I think, in 2009. Uh-huh. And I guess they would have been there with 35 rum. Oh, yeah. And it's extremely cold and miserable, as Rotterdam tends to be <laughs> in, like, February. Uh, and... I just saw him literally everywhere, and he seemed to be the only person having as bad a time as I was. <laughs> They're just stalking a uh, grumpy Alex Disca around Rotterdam. Moping around. And, well, Nick, do you want to bring in your film a bit, That uh, the supplementary film? Trouble every day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a a movie that... I have a sort of boundless affection for. Um, <laughs> and I mean, as we've been talking about the degree to which the different movies sort of return to both of the pleasures and horrors of varying kinds of intimacy, this is one that takes it just about as far as it can possibly go. Um, the basic premise is that we have two matched couples, Beatrice Dahl and Alex Desca and Vinnie Gallo and Trisha Vesey. Um, and the Gallo character and the Dahl character are both infected by this cat people-esque uh, <laughs> virus which turns them into ravening cannibals whenever they get horny. Um which, of course, causes problems with, in the case of the Gallo character, his uh, young newlywed wife who's waiting to be ravened but uh, cannot. Um, and in the case of uh, the Desca character and his wife, Beatrice Dahl, they've kind of come to an arrangement, let's say, right. uh, where he keeps her chained up uh, as best he can, but she occasionally lures in some uh, teenager with a boner and and feasts upon him um and the you know the movie starts out it has this wonderful sort of overture opening um which i learned was written specifically when tinder sticks gave the theme song to her this had not been the original plan but it's this great opening where you just start with this couple, random couple who are not seen at any other point at any time in the movie, uh, pawing each other in a parked car, as I recall. And it doesn't plug into anything that goes on in the rest of the movie, but it does establish um, quite firmly the basic idea that you know this is, of course, about uh, a couple of people who are dealing with this sort of sci-fi problem but it is also just about a very universal difficulty trouble every day which is if you are a human being with any kind of pulse and any kind of sex drive you are in constant agony (laughs) because it's absolutely miserable stuff dogging your every step um and to emphasize this fact we have not merely your work a day miserable uh ennui stricken horniness but uh these bursts of uh cannibalistic fury and then always great in denis is how she threads matters of class into things yeah. um 
and particularly in dealing with sex relations, it's very much there in un beau soleil interior. In this case, the sort of arrangements that are struck with the ailing partners are essentially, well, you can eat the occasional poor person. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, there's, you know, the, the occasional truck driver or like, you know, chambermaid. Right. I guess that's how I have to do it. Right. And it's incredibly savage and a little blackly funny, uh, I suppose. But yeah, suffice it to say, it's it's a movie I really feel in my marrow and have <laughs> for a long time. I, 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 I did see it during that initial run at the quad and mm, mm -hmm. remember very well, like kind of stepping outside at the time there was like a bar next door, like went to the bar next door, gulped down a double of something and just went right back in. <laughs> for another one? Yeah, like just 180'd right back in. Yeah. Um, Which I don't often do. Yeah, that that seems pretty uh, bruising. <laughs> right on special occasion. A special occasion. Yeah. Uh, well, that, I mean, High Life, you know, I kind of plugs into that as well. Just the sense of being condemned. There are a lot of things you're condemned to on that spaceship. Um, uh, yeah, libido being one of them and the, the, the app breakdown and then total absence of any kind of societal <laughs> structure or guidance. And then top of it all, they're all also, you know, convicts without any apparatus to deal with that really either. I, I don't, I don't really understand what the game plan was. <laughs> I think it was just like throw them in the trash more or less and, and just send them into space. Well, there's a scene in uh, Trouble Every Day where Gallo is at like a laboratory and he's being berated by a woman <laughs> scientist. It's like, you like money, don't you? <laughs> um, <laughs> and there's all these like weird cutaways to... <laughs> just like test tubes and crap like this <laughs> and a, a friend observed i think very correctly that for like two minutes the movie just turns into a jess franco movie then <laughs> but like the basic sense of science from that scene i think is extended to yeah the, the workings the 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 machinations of the ship <laughs> as a whole in in high life where where again like I'm sure that all the due diligence was done with regards to this stuff, but in terms of actually uh, giving you a real strong kind of world-building architecture, that's just not what the movie actually cares about. Yeah, like yeah. get you know breaking down all of the like nuts and bolts of it. It's not interesting. What yeah. it is interested in, as always, is the sort of spectacle of different human types and different human bodies negotiating particular spaces, which again is where the sort of torturous revette comparison, I think, is uh, mm. relevant. Mm -hmm. You're always just, you're always so aware of how people fill space in Denis movies. Mm. They are all to varying degrees just, you know, documentaries about people's bodies. Yeah. Um, which, I, again, I feel like if I'm going to continue torturously looking for this connection to Rivette, this might be, this might be, this might be where I find it. Yeah. Well, I was definitely feeling the bodies, bodies moving through space with, with no fear, no die 
Um, it's always struck me how they walk in tandem and when they come out of stuff. But but also the, how they're negotiating, even in this small space where they live, which is some kind of like truck stop, basically truck stop kind of restaurant with an area inside for like a there's like a disco and then behind that there's like this weird little area where they have the cockfights but even just going through that they feel very marginalized and and they, they're constantly it feels it feels like they're constantly going through like customs at a train station or something because they're going back and forth from where they live to the disco um and the outside just feels like this kind of a kind of wasteland that actually crops up a fair amount in like 80s French film. I feel like, the, you know, these long parking parking lots and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, they, they're they kept away in a basement, except when they're out kind of performing to, to set up the, the fights. Another kind of cramped space. Uh, yeah. Similarly in 35 Shots of Rum, mm -hmm. yeah. the fact that this 20-something uh, beautiful young woman lives with her father and they mm -hmm. clearly have a very close loving relationship sharing this fairly cramped apartment in Paris and yeah. the people who are within their orbit are people who live in the neighboring apartments and so it's right. all the sort of the circumference is kept tight in this yeah. film and it's you almost have the sense that their interpersonal closeness as a father and daughter is brought about by this physical closeness that they are mm -hmm. sort of and they clearly like living together and they clearly have have put themselves in the situation where they are navigating this small space yeah. which then the film filmically yeah. uh, explores and the ways in which that sort of bumping up against each other translates to this sort of emotional closeness which sometimes seems excessive and sometimes verges into this sort of uncomfortable territory of a grown daughter being too close with her father and it just it's all in the spaces and in the ways the bodies yeah. move through space i mean one, one thing i'm curious about with 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 that movie and i mean it does seem like an ex there's sort of this ongoing experiment like when you're trying to portray the actual intimacy between people why does it so often seem somehow taboo <laughs> when it's in a film i don't know you know what i mean yeah I mean, as as you were talking, Maddie, I just find myself thinking just what a hyper, hyper gestural mm -hmm. cinema it is. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. as I try to sort of sift through the filmography, it, does, it comes to me so much mm -hmm. in, like, gesture. There's hardly a, like, quotation that springs immediately to mind. Yes. But if I think about 35 Rums, I'm immediately thinking about the absolutely sublime night shift sequence in it, which when I first saw that just about fell out of my fucking chair. Yeah, it knocks you over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, just this seemingly effortless but almost impossible to achieve hyper-detailed concert of bodies in motion with mm. all of these mini narratives strung through it and one of these occasions which i mean there are many filmmakers who utilize pop music uh many who do it well but you know oftentimes you have to ask yourself like is this is this song carrying the scene mm -hmm. or you know the other way around right. i mean with with Denise so often, however, you get this moment of almost perfect melding of yeah. song and image where everything takes on a 
a poignancy and an impactfulness that it could not otherwise have had. And it doesn't seem like she was uh, dickering around uh, in the edit room. It's like, yeah, we need some to give this scene a lift or something like that. It does feel like the the film has almost been built out completely from that moment that the film is almost like sprung from night shift. And yeah. Mm. Well, that's something actually not in relation to that scene in particular, but um, sort of the larger point you're making is something that Agnes Godard talked about when she came. We had her oh. this past summer. Uh, oh, yeah to present a few of her films as part of our female gaze uh, film series. Mm -hmm. And she presented 35 shots of rum and she presented the intruder and Beau And she talked at some length and I cannot do justice to the eloquence that she uh -huh. had in speaking about her collaborations with Claire Denis, but she talked about this relationship between cinematography and music and how she sees and Denise sees cinematography as musical and as a musical form of expression. And mm. I believe that this came up in particular when she was talking about the final scene of Beau which obviously is uh, yeah. a, a, a different kind of spectacle, but in a similar yeah. uh, mm -hmm. category. And it's watching, watching 35 shots of rum. It's with this in mind, after having heard these, uh, Q and A's with Agnes Godard. Yeah. I, I just you realize how every single frame is, and the great music by Tindersticks obviously makes this more manifest. But there's mm -hmm. this intimacy between the visual and the music that is yeah. really something unique. Yeah. And, and did she talk about how uh, this now seems like a mundane question, but do they play the music when they're blocking out the scene? Did they talk about that? Yes. There's. Uh, she talked about how the music. Uh, is playing when okay. in in the space, and I, I don't know technically whether it's then yeah. redubbed over, and I I yeah. can't remember how much detail she got into, but yeah. she did say that there is music playing while the filming is going on. Okay, yeah, that's that's something. I mean, often in any scenes of music in other movies, you just see they're not dancing to the music you're hearing, and that there's always that disconnect that makes it feel like something laid laid over. But uh, yeah, not to like always bring about back to No Fear, No Die, but just even that, just thinking about the, the last dance scene of Beau Travail, that almost is prefigured a bit by the like kind of like sort of semi-ecstatic dance in, in No Fear, No Die, um, where Alex Tiscaz's character is, is dancing with someone that, you know, uh, someone at the, at the club and who seems kind of intrigued by him at first until he just seems to be detaching a little bit more and more. And even so, she's still, it's still kind of cool what he, that, that, that he, he's kind of losing it sort of, um, but it gets a little out of hand. But that's, and that's not even that that's a beautiful piece of music there. It's like this, I don't know, late 80s, just French house, disco house. I looked it up. It's called French Kiss by Lil Frankie. <laughs> Um, uh, it's good to do dishes too. And, but that's what's, what's playing there. But even that becomes somehow like, you know, this, this kind of semi-magical thing. And it, it helps to have actors like, like that who mm -hmm. are able to understand, um, motion in, in, in that way. But that's, yeah, that is fascinating. Agnes Goodard. Well, we've covered a lot of, of ground. Um, I, one strand I wanted to pick up just cause the idea has kind of come up a little bit. Nick, you're talking about like the kind of documentary impulse that she mm. has. What about the actual documentaries that she's made? You mentioned the Rivette mm, one. Yeah. That's something that doesn't get a lot of attention, also because it's hard to see. Um, there yeah, is this band. Towards Matilda's? Yeah, Towards Matilda or 
uh, there's like a which which yeah. makes very concrete the kind of relationship between her work and dance, yeah. modern dance, I should say. Yeah. If that isn't already fairly explicit from watching the movies. Yeah. I I mean I don't have anything particular to say about it, but I, there's something there to be written, perhaps. Um, well, I mean. I feel like there are few traditions that are so wrapped up in various attitudes towards naturalism as the French, from Bazin mm. to uh, the sort of documentary renaissance spearheaded by Raymond Depardon and others, um, which, I mean, I've never heard Denis sort of speak about to what degree that has put fingerprints on her own work or no, but I mean, I think it's just yeah. something that is in the water. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. I think if you know, a, a French filmmaker, more so perhaps than most, is always going to be defined by a attitude mm -hmm. towards the naturalist tradition. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> or traditions, I should say. Yeah, I, I, I again feel like I'm talking about no fear, no die more than has been talked <laughs> about at all. Well, I mean, I note that none of us have cracked L'Entreux, which is mm. separate. <laughs> almost because That's... I, I didn't, I don't do it because I am afraid to sound like a fucking idiot because <laughs> it is such a like epochally huge yeah. and rich and incredible movie. Yeah. That's um, it's overwhelming to even think about talking about that movie. I Yeah. I, I, would, I, I just wanted to address the elephant <laughs> in the room. <laughs> it's like true. True. It's uh, I, I'm glad to hear someone else say this because I yeah. felt like I was there's some deficiency in me that I couldn't wrap my head around what that movie was doing. Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I I don't I don't I mean, you know, talking of her br cracking it wide open somehow that felt like that. We got some glimpse of some void with with that movie, and that I'm I'm not sure she's. I mean, it just has all the things are in it. Yeah, yeah. every everything is in it. Yeah, it's got everything. <laughs> <laughs> you want a movie with all the things? All true. Um, so some was sled racing. Or, yeah. <laughs> Heart. Heart transplant, yeah. Korean ports, yeah. So I mean, it was it was good to see when it hit um, two hundred million dollar mark in terms of its box office. That was very <laughs> gratifying at the time. Um, that was a good thing. I remember. I remember Moriarty at uh, Ain't It Cool News really got behind it and got all the all the fanboys on board. Yeah, I remember all his secret dispatches. <laughs> the set uh, reporters really <laughs> stirred the pot. It did, yeah been smooth sailing since then basically <laughs> yeah always at least 100 million well mm. where does that leave us mm. a moment of quietude yet sinister quietude that's um, really her her brand i would say <laughs> sinister quietude she um, always talks so much about building her brand i think yeah, that's been such an right. important part of yeah. the, the sort of body of work exactly it's, it's really yeah. it is smart part of branding, her artistry smart branding yeah. Yeah. smart branding yeah <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I uh, yeah, I, I, it's, you know, I am curious, warily curious about how high life will hit in a way. I, I have to hope that people just get on board, so to speak. <laughs> but, uh, and yeah. I, I do feel that we should acknowledge that uh, BAM Cinematheque has a Claire Denis retrospective coming up in just like a week or two. 
That's true. So you can, if any of these movies you have not seen, you yes. can probably see them at BAM if you live in the New York area. Yes, including several rarities, I think, uh, including like the documentaries, mm-hmm. uh, a, a number of them. Although there was one kind of hen's tooth uh, omission of, of some sort. But yeah, it and in seeing them all in one go, you can also get a, a I don't know, grasp just the consistent depth to them and the consistent level of craft. And also the way that the things that she does in terms of, you know, whatever fragmentary ed- editorial schemes or, or time jumps never become gimmicks with her, never feel like routine, never feel like she's avoiding something by doing them. Just it's, it, it, it's hard to think of someone else who has been able to like assimilate a lot of like those techniques and just have such a grasp of them for so long. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I think too, too much in terms of like longevity, but just uh, there's not really a dead spot for me in like the past 30 years. That's what watching No Fear No Die, which is kind of amazing in that respect. I mean, I've, I've thought about this a little as to how she avoids, to my mind at least, ever getting into self-parody mode Mm -hmm. or feeling like oh it's Claire Denis doing Claire Denis and part of it I think is this consistent element of risk that allows the films to not feel like they've been pinned down or calculated Mm -hmm. to the last decimal part of this is and it sounds like a perhaps a a mixed insult compliment but (laughs) I always have admired her ready embrace of self-evidently bad ideas, like (laughs) the fact that the films very often have sort of structurally useless appendages dangling (laughs) off of them. There are things that, you know, if you were to show it to 19 out of 20 people, there are certain scenes that they'd say, that needs to go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. and I really admire that. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think it speaks to the fact that she is a genuine dogged artist mm-hmm. that, yeah. you know, these, these little rough patches or these little eccentricities, maybe it would be better to say, always make me feel like I am not watching something that has been not been like rigged up and buttressed up and made like safe in every possible respect, but is a sort of slapdash, strange living organism. And it's such a pleasure to kind of encounter that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) For some reason I am, I'm bringing to mind the the ending of, of uh, let the sun shine. I was thinking that too. Yeah. I mean, you think what can possibly surprise me at this point and then, yeah. Gerard Depardieu. Yeah. <laughs> as a psychic medium? Yeah. Just, and the credits rolling on him. And yeah, not even becoming a joke at that point. But uh, yeah, a, 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 a genius for, for, I don't know, consistently surprising. And I don't know. And I want to get the word right. Something about ambiguity that I feel is, is rapidly just being, yeah, vacuumed out of every single film. Okay, I better step back. From a lot of films, <laughs> God damn it! you can only watch Clarity. It is the only truth. Please join us from now and forever in space. Um, but yeah, no, Nick, you were nodding to that. Yeah, I'm just right on, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, well, we can bring this in for a landing. Um, 
I hope all these spaceship metaphors are hitting, but I don't know if they are. To the to the appreciative ear. To the appreciative to the, ear. To the real <laughs> listener. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that brings us to the end of our Claire Denis podcast, I guess. Um, High Life, well, Maddie, what do you think? Are you going to see High Life? Hell yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. Sign me up. Sign up. All right, well, well, signing off. Uh, thank you both so much. Thank, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment. Or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.